Bible message in song. Take your copy of God's Word and turn again, please, this morning to James chapter 2. We'll be here today, obviously, and then we'll put a bookmark in there and we'll be in Colossians next week and then we'll return uh, later on to chapter 3 of James. Today we're going to finish up chapter 2 and we come this morning uh, to one of the most difficult and misunderstood passages, not only in the book of James, but in the entire Bible. Isn't that encouraging to know that we're going to study one of the most difficult passages uh, in James and in the Bible? And it appears to put James and the Apostle Paul in direct contradiction with one another. It appears that James is going to teach one thing this morning that goes exactly against what Paul teaches. And the real kicker is we're not talking about something minor. We're talking about how a person is saved, how a person is justified, how they're uh, forgiven and justified and made right in the sight of God, how they're made a citizen of heaven. We're talking about the most crucial thing of all, and that is how is a person born again? How is a person made a child of God? You say, well, where does this issue arise, preacher? Well, we start with Paul, and Paul says this uh, in the book of Romans, chapter 3 and verse 28. Here's what Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified, he's saved, he's born again by faith apart from the deeds of the law. I mean, that's pretty clear, right? A person is justified by faith, nothing to do uh, with the deeds of the law. And then we're going to read today in James chapter 2, verse 24, James is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Here's what James writes. You see then that a man is justified, what's it say? By works and not by faith only. Mm. It appears there's a great issue here, a great problem, right? I mean, it seems like that Paul is teaching that we're saved by grace through faith and James comes along and says, no, 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 you're not saved by faith alone. It involves work. So the question is, who is right? I mean, is the Bible contradicting itself here? Well, beloved, the question, who is right, they both are. They're both right. You say, well, how can that be? How can they both be right when one seems to say one thing and the other says the exact opposite? Well, I want you to remember something as we study today. Uh, The great Bible teacher, John Phillips, said this, and I want you to jot this down, if you will. We're justified by faith in the sight of God and by works in the sight of man. We're justified by faith in the sight of God and by works in the sight of man. Jerry Vine said that James and Paul are both writing about faith, but they're writing on different sides of the issue. And you can look at a topic or a subject and look at it from a different angle or look at it from a different side. He says that Paul is writing on the believing side of faith. What we believe. And James is writing on the behaving side of faith. If you'll note this, these two things will help you. Paul is saying that we're justified by faith before God privately, but we're justified by works before men publicly. In other words, in the sight of God, we're justified, we're made right with God by faith and faith alone. But when it comes to people looking at us, And looking in our lives and looking at our profession of faith, we are justified in their sight, if you will, in the area of works. Now remember this as we study today. James is not teaching. He's not teaching. He's not teaching. 
that we're saved by faith plus works. He's not teaching that. See, you said that four times. I want you to understand, he's not teaching that we're saved by faith plus works. What he's saying, beloved, is this. Real saving faith will produce works. They're not a part of salvation. They don't add to our salvation. They are a result of our salvation. If we truly have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, then good works are going to flow from our life. In fact, we talked about Paul a moment ago. Paul kind of shows us this. Jot this reference down and listen, if you will. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Now, a lot of times we'll use Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 and we stop reading there. But I want to read the whole thing today. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace, for by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And so we know clearly we're not saved with faith and works. We're saved by faith alone. But then verse 10 brings in the whole idea of works. He already said in verses 8 and 9, we're saved by grace through faith. It's not of works. Then in verse 10, here's what he says. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In other words, our true faith in Christ, it results in good works flowing out of our lives. And so we're saved by grace, but that saving faith, it brings about works. So I want to think about what kind of faith do you have today? What kind of faith do you have today? I like what someone said. They said, faith is like calories. Faith is like calories. You can't see them, but you can always see their results. Isn't that true about calories? You can't see them, but you can always see the results. Well, faith's like that. You can't always see the faith, but you can always see the results of faith. So look at your Bible, and you'll see what I'm talking about. James chapter 2, we'll begin reading at verse 14. James 2.14, practical Christian living. James 2.14, what does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warm and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way. For as the body... Without the Spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Now, you've already noticed a theme there in those verses concerning dead faith. Dead faith is mentioned in verses 17, 20, and 26. Dead faith, 
Dead faith, dead faith. You say, well, preacher, what is dead faith? It's faith that's dead. That's what it is. It's lifeless. It's useless. It's valueless. It does not and it will not save anyone. We don't want dead faith. We want faith that is alive. We want real faith. And so when I ask that question for of you today, is your faith real? Is your faith real? This is not a side issue. This is the most crucial issue of all. Do you have real, true, saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, let me give you a couple of things that will help us to see if our faith is real. Number one, notice that real faith is more than words. Real faith is more than words. Verse 14 of our text says, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith? He says he has faith, but does not have works. Can, and it's implied, can that kind of faith save him? Talk is easy, isn't it? Talk is cheap. You can say anything you want to say, but what do you do? Does your talk match your walk? It's one thing to say you have faith, but just saying you have faith will not save you. In fact, saying someone has a faith won't save anybody. True saving faith will equal life change. Your belief in the Lord Jesus Christ will impact your behavior. It will produce good works. Anyone can claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And guess what? Many people do. But the reality is they're not followers of Jesus Christ. They don't really know Him. They haven't given their lives to Jesus Christ. They've not turned from their sin and placed their faith in Him as their Master and Lord. And they may know a lot about Christ. They may like Christ. They may be a big fan of His. They might even like His teachings and they feel good about His lifestyle and what He did, but they've never bowed the knee and made Him their Savior and Lord. We've got to understand there's a difference between professing Christ and possessing Christ. Anybody can say, oh yeah, I'm a child of God. I'm a Christian. And I'm amazed when I hear about these surveys they do about how many Christians are in America. And I mean, if it were true what they tell us, all these people that claim to be followers of Christ, I think there'd be a great revival in America. But the reality is, it's easy to say something, it's easy to verbalize something, but the reality is, real faith is more than words. It's more than words. Saying you're saved and actually being saved are two different things. And can I just tell you, beloved, God wants you to know that you're born again. Salvation is not a hope-so situation. It's not a maybe-so thing. It is a no-so. God wants you to know that you are His child, that your sin is forgiven, and that heaven is your home. Jot this reference down, 1 John 5.13. 1 John 5.13 says these things. I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. You've exercised faith that you may know that you have eternal life, that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. And in fact, the book of James, we've already studied several areas here where it shows us some tests and some proofs that we are indeed born again. And they're all throughout the book of James. And here is another one we're studying together today. And the point of this is not to make any true believer doubt their salvation. God wants you to have the assurance of your salvation. I know from personal experience growing up what it is to live not sure, not having the assurance that you're a child of God. It's a miserable place to be. 
And so God wants you to have that assurance. He wants you to know that your sin is forgiven, to know that you truly are a child of God. And so the point of today's message is not to make anybody doubt, well, you know, a true believer doubt they're saved. The point is to help make sure that our faith is real and it's genuine and it's true and it's a saving faith and we really are a child of God. We've got to remember that it's not our perfect faith that saves. It's our faith in a perfect Savior. We've got to remember that. Faith is only as good as the object of that faith. And our faith is in a perfect Savior. And so faith is more than words. So we have here in verse 14, somebody says that they're, uh, they're a child of God. I'm a Christian. And they, they talk like that. But then he brings up an example to kind of show, well... Is your faith real? Is it really saving faith? Um, he brings up an example all of us can understand in verse 15. A brother or sister comes in and they're hungry and they're cold. Look at verse 15. If a brother or sister is naked, they implied they're not having the appropriate clothing. All right? Um, not having enough clothing. And destitute of daily food. So not just like, you know, I could really go for a steak right now. But in other words, I'm starving. I'm, I'm really destitute of food. I, I'm in great danger. I, I don't have enough to eat. Now, we were reminded last week that we're to love our neighbors ourselves. But this person in today's example is not just anybody. It's not just somebody. This is a brother or sister in the church. And Galatians 6.10 says this, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are the household of faith. In other words, yes, love everybody, love your neighbors yourself, but especially those who are in the church, those who are your brothers or sisters in Christ. And here we have a brother or sister, they're hungry, they're cold, they're lacking adequate clothing, they don't have adequate food. And I want you to notice the response that this brother or sister is given in verse 16. And one of you says to them, now remember, you're speaking here, if you were the one or I were the one, we're speaking to someone who has inadequate clothing, not enough food, they're cold, they're hungry. One of you says to them, verse 16, depart in peace, be warm and filled, but do not give them the things which are needed for the body. What does it profit? I like the way the NLT translated it. And you say, goodbye and have a good day. Stay warm and eat well. Now imagine that. That's hard to get our arms around. Imagine a brother or sister comes into our assembly. They're a part of our church family. And they have inadequate clothing. Uh, They have inadequate food. This is incredible. I mean, they literally have not even the basics of life. I don't mean the luxuries of life. I mean the necessities of life. And instead of helping them, there's no help extended. Just words. God bless you, brother. God bless you, sister. Have a good day. Nothing but empty words. No food, no clothes, no jacket, no assistance, nothing. Just vain, empty words. Beloved, that's dead faith. 1 John 3, 17 and 18 says this, But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. 1 John 3, 17 and 18. Dead faith. We just, we just speak, we just talk, but there's no working, there's no helping a brother or sister 
who's in need. Well, then somebody might be thinking, well, you know, preacher, you know, some people are into works and doing good works. I'm just into being with God. I mean, we all have our strengths and, and I, I just love being with God and, and studying the Bible and just going deeper with the Lord. And, and some people, they're really out there and they do their works and, and they're really into serving other people, but I'm just into being with God. And chapter 2, verse 18 kind of talks about that person. Look at uh, verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. You know, there's, there's different ideas and there's different strengths. Let me give you the NOT again in verse 18. Now, someone may argue, some people have faith and others have good deeds. You know? But I say, how can you show me your faith? If you don't have good deeds, I will show you my faith by my good deeds. See, these things are not exclusive. It's not, well, you either have faith or you have works. No, real faith is going to produce good works. True saving faith will not be able to turn a blind eye and a deaf ear to a brother or sister who is in dire need. And say, whoa, God bless you. Man, my heart goes out to you. I'm not going to do anything else but just speak to you. I'm not going to serve you or help you or give you anything to eat or, or give you some clothes or give you a jacket or do anything else to help you. I'm just going to say, God bless you. See, because I'm really into being with God. And I'm really into growing my faith. And by the way, the issue here is not wanting to help and you can't help. Now, that does happen too. You ever wanted to do something you really couldn't do anything on a practical level? That's not the issue here. The issue here is clear. You could do something, but you don't do anything. This is dead faith. Dead faith. And beloved, real faith is more than words. Now, some might be thinking, well, you know, my work's not all that impressive, but my theology is correct. I mean, I believe right. I've got the Bible down. And he kind of talks about that person in verse 19. He says, you believe that there is one God. You know, we've gone from here's a destitute brother or sister. Well, God bless you. Stay warm. Stay filled. Stay dry. Go on. To, you know what? My theology is correct. My belief about God, my knowledge of the Bible, I mean, it's straight. It, it's correct. Absolutely correct. And he brings up the Shema here. You believe that there is one God. By the way, I hope you believe that because that's the truth. You believe there's one God, one true God. Your theology is correct, but notice what James says next in verse 19. You believe that there is one God. You do well, but don't stop reading. Even the demons believe. And tremble. Did you know there are no atheists among demons? Did you know that? There are no atheists among demons. They believe that there is one God. They, they know God. God created them. And the Bible says they not only believe that there is one God, it says they shudder at the thought. They tremble at the thought. But you know what? Demons, they're not right with God, these fallen angels. It's interesting, someone that I studied this past week pointed out that genuine faith, true faith consisted of three things. And the interesting thing is demons possessed two of them. It was quite startling. First of all, to have true faith, you've got to have knowledge. We just talked about there's one God. And so there's that knowledge, that truth, that revelation of God Himself. There's one God. And so there's knowledge. And guess what? The demons believe that. 
And then when it comes to faith, you have not only knowledge, you have agreement. You have to agree. And so far, the demons, they meet all the criteria. You believe there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe. They know there's one God. But for faith to be real in our lives, there's not only knowledge and agreement, there must be trust. And here's where they drop the ball. It says that they believe there's one God, but it says they tremble. They shudder. They don't trust. You see, if we're going to have true faith, we need knowledge concerning our sin and the gospel. There must be agreement to the truth. And then there must be trust. In that truth. See, real faith, beloved, is more than just words. It's more than just a mental or a verbal agreement to a creed. It includes that for sure. It includes agreement, but it includes heart trust, not just head. Real faith, salvation is more than just head belief, it's heart belief. It's where I trust, I depend upon, I call out to God, and I give Him myself. And so I ask you, is your faith real? Is it more than just words? Is it more than just a creed? Is it more than just the motions you've gone through throughout your life? Maybe you're brought up in this church or a church like it or, or somewhere. Grandma, grandpa, mom or dad, they brought you to church and you know all the words and the songs and the creeds and all those things. But beloved, that's not enough. Real saving faith is not just knowledge up here. It's trust with your life, your heart. It's giving your life to Jesus Christ. And so the question is, is your faith real? Well, we've said it, 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 it's more than mere words, but there's a second thing here that helps us to know if our faith is real. It's this, real faith produces good works. Produces good works. James now brings us two people as illustrations. And to be honest with you, I don't think you could have picked two uh, more Different. Is that the right way of saying that? Uh, people. Um, he picks Abraham and, and, and Rahab. Now, I believe the reason he does this is he's, of course, inspired by God to do it. But I believe what James is saying here about real faith, producing good works, is uh, that's true no matter who we're talking about. Whether we're talking about Father Abraham or we're talking about the prostitute Rahab. True saving faith brings about good works. And, and with these two, he's going to show us that real faith uh, works itself out in, in real life. Now remember, James is not contradicting Paul here. We're justified by faith in the sight of God, but by works in the sight of man. So you say, well, you have faith. Well, if I look at your life, then I should see some good works and, and vice versa. God declared Abraham, let's talk about Abraham for a moment. God declared Abraham righteous and just way back in the book of Genesis. Genesis 15, 6 says this, And he, that is Abraham, believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. That's Genesis 15, 6. He was saved by faith. Galatians 3, 6 in the New Testament uh, reiterates that. Galatians 3, 6, Just as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted him for righteousness. But Abraham showed his faith was real because he offered up his promised son. You remember God made a promise to Abraham, I'm going to bless you and, and you all the families of the earth will be blessed, the Abrahamic covenant. And we're blessed by that. Why? Because who is it that came through the family of Abraham? Jesus Christ, right? And he, and he died and he, he was buried and he rose again. And so we are blessed today 
uh, through the line of God's promise to Abraham. But you remember that they had to wait a long time and they kind of messed things up. And, 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 but finally, God brought about the promised heir, Isaac, to Abraham and Sarah. But then God, you remember, tested the faith of Abraham. And Abraham showed that his faith was real. How? Because God told him, I want you to take Isaac, your father's heir, and I want you to go and I want you to sacrifice him. You remember the Bible says that Abraham took him and he was bound to the altar. And literally, Abraham had the knife in his hand. You remember the story? And he's about to drop the knife upon him because the Bible says he believed that God could raise him back to life. But then, of course, God stopped him and delivered him, provided a ram. And we see that Abraham, his faith was more than just words. It was more than emotions. It was real. It was active. And it produced good works in his life. His actions did not result in his salvation. They were as a result of his salvation. They flowed from his faith. They flowed from his faith. And then we go to another extreme example, Rahab the harlot. And this takes us back to the Old Testament to where we're in the book of Joshua and they're about to go into the, the city of Jericho. And you have this harlot Rahab. You remember that she hid the messengers, the spies who had entered the land and she sent them out another way and she saved their lives and she herself was safe. She went out and spread the news. Their family brought them in and her faith produced works. And her life and her lips, they matched. And her talk and her walk agreed. And, and beloved, the, the point of these examples is this. Real saving faith will produce good works. They will produce it. These works do not save you. They do not keep you saved. They don't add to your salvation. Can I just say it too? They don't make God love you anymore because He loves you perfectly. The point is this, beloved, they're a result of your salvation. They're a fruit of your faith. And I've got to caution you because some might think, well, I've got to get busy. I've got to come up with some good works to do. No. God may lead you to do some things, sure. What I'm saying to you today and what the Bible is saying is this, that if you are truly a child of God, these things are going to happen in your life. Real good works are going to flow out of your real faith in Christ. And you may not realize that a lot of these are very ordinary. We, we sometimes think, you know, when it comes to these good works, that we're talking about feeding the poor and, and going and building a soup kitchen and going to Africa and building a house or whatever. And that may in, be included in that. But these good works, beloved, can be as simple as you living as a Christian where you work and acting like a Christian where you work. And you acting like a Christian when you're in school. And you having a heart of compassion. And you being led of the Lord and reaching out with His love. It could be taking a meal to a shut-in neighbor. It could be whatever God might lead you to do. It's not that you're working up all these things. It's the fact that your life has been changed. You're a new creature in Christ. And you want to be the hands and feet of Christ. And you want to be led of the Lord as the Holy Spirit guides you and directs you. And, and, and you look at this and you say, you know what? This is a reflection upon my faith in Christ. I like to think about it this way. Like bees produce honey and toddlers produce messes. Christians will produce good works. It just flows out of your life. You don't have to work them up. You don't have to sit down and make a list. 
It's just the fact that you've been changed and your life reflects it. You've been changed and your life reflects it. So we need to examine ourselves today. And we need to look at our lives and we need to ask ourselves this question, is there fruit in my life? Now, it won't be perfect. It'll be a mixed lot for sure. But the question is, has your life changed since you've met Jesus Christ? Are you different? Are there good works in your life? Are they flowing through your life? Not perfectly, but in reality. And if you look at your life and you sit there and you don't find any change or any good works or any difference whatsoever, could it be that you have a dead faith? Because James is clear, beloved, real saving faith will produce good works. And if you find today that you have a dead faith, you say, you know what? There's no fruit in my life. I don't really know Jesus. That doesn't have to stay that way. That can change this moment. As God works in your heart, and you can this moment turn from your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, with your help, I've done my best today to unpack this passage. Remove any confusion, any misunderstanding. Help us to grasp this truth that true saving faith will produce good works. You've ordained that we should walk in them, your word says. I pray today if anybody here has a dead faith, that they would turn to you and place their faith in Christ today. And then, Father, I pray that you would open the eyes of our brothers and sisters in Christ, maybe some who are discouraged, to the way you're working in their life, to the way that you're bringing about good works in the home, at work, at school, in the community, in so many places. Would you open their eyes, not for their glory, but for your glory, to help them see that they truly are changed and they're growing and they're being made more like Jesus and they truly are acting as His hands and feet in this world. So, Father, thank You for this most practical and helpful passage. May You be praised and glorified in the imitation. May Your will be done in this place. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing 325 for a closing hymn. The altar is open. We would invite you to come. I'll be down front. I'd love to pray with you and help you if I can. If you need to be saved today, we'd love to help you with that. If you want to come and pray about something, we'd love to help you. If you want to come and pray on your own, that's fine too. But the altar is open. Our closing hymn 325 as we stand together and sing. Is your faith real? Is it real? Think about that. 325. Let's stand together and sing. You come as God leads you. Thank you.